Hello, it's 4th of November, and this is episode 5 of Scavenger's Horde, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis, and commentary. We focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. And as I'm sure you're used to hearing now, Kirsty, how has your week in Star Wars been? It's been great. There's been lots going on, which we're not quite used to at the moment. It's been the past few weeks, we were saying it's been a bit slow, but. Mm-hmm. This week, it feels like we had a load of different things going on at once. And yes. Obviously, we're going to get to talking about that a bit later. But the main thing was the New York Times article. Do you want to tell people about that? Yeah, no, that was really exciting. Basically, I have been speaking to Amanda Hess, um, who's a New York Times journalist, um, essentially about my experience as a female fan in Star Wars fandom. And I feel very excited to have been quoted in how female fans made Star Wars their own, which is an awesome article that you should all read because it's a great rundown of female engagement in Star Wars fandom across the years. Um, and perhaps best of all, the podcast gets a shout out. So it's like, yay us! It's, it's so cool. And it's just amazing because obviously we've only been going for five episodes and we've already got the attention of like a national newspaper in the United States. It's it's just bonkers, you know? I never in a million years expected we were going to get that kind of attention. So, yeah, I just feel really lucky and I'm really excited about how things are coming along. Yeah, it's really cool. And it, the article is so well written. Amanda did a really good job. And yeah. um, it's great to be alongside more established female podcasters in the fandom. Yeah, and, no, definitely. Yeah, and it's, uh, I kind of feel like a bit like the old one out because the old ones have been going for so long and it's like, oh, we're really the new kid on the block. Yeah, well, she did say that in the article and kind of positioned us as newcomers who yeah. felt like, you know, we had something to offer to a mostly male-centric fandom. So it's pretty mm-hmm. cool. And it, I've seen already that it's generated quite a lot of discussion online in various corners of the internet. Yeah, no, I saw that um, it had generated its own Reddit post on the Star Wars subreddit. Mm. Um, which is a true sign that your article has got places. <laughs> um, so that's really exciting. Um, and yeah, there's just been so much happening. It's crazy. Like um, we had JJ's commentary on The Force Awakens come out, which is going to be the focus of our spotlight section later. And we've had Daisy making some interesting comments and like a few little spoiler tidbits for episode eight. And yeah, I'm just a bit overwhelmed. It's like, oh my god, how are we going to keep the show under two hours? <laughs> yeah, we're probably not going to, but... <laughs> <laughs> we can try. <laughs> we can really try. And if not, there will always be a time breakdown, like in the notes, so you can skip to what actually interests you. Yeah. <laughs> so you do like to be helpful like that. <laughs> um, so is there anything else you'd like to say, Kirsty, before we move into news? No, let's just dive right into it, because we've got more than enough to talk about. <laughs> yes, very wise. Um, right, so the first story is that we have some costume reports from Making Star Wars about what Luke and Kylo will be wearing in Episode Eight. I decided to lump these together, even though they're separate reports, just because both of them are quite small and I felt they could just be handled in one discussion. Mm. So with Luke, we have this. And essentially, on the site, which I will link to, there is a lovely little drawing of what Luke will look like in Episode 8. And talking about this drawing, um, Jason says, This depiction is from a training sequence where Ray is frustrated with Luke's teachings. Nick decided to go with the mechanical look of the hand because we couldn't tell if Luke had a robotic hand or the black glove in the sequence. 
He also didn't appear to have a lightsaber at all, but was holding either a fin spear, walking stick, or a piece of junk. Um, and besides that, it's a longer article than this. Um, they also mentioned that Luke is wearing quite like dirty clothes. He looks quite disheveled and essentially like some kind of weird space hobo. He, he doesn't look great, <laughs> apparently. Um, that's the impression one gets anyway. Um, so yeah, what did you think about the bit about Luke's costume, Kirsty? Well, I think it's interesting that they tell tell us that he's changed out of the robes from The Force Awakens, but then he's changing into something that's supposedly really filthy. I think that was the word that they used. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like one of those white robes is like presentation robes. Yeah, he knew that Ray was coming and decided to put on something a bit nicer. <laughs> Yeah, he, he was like, decided he's finally going to make some kind of effort. And then, like, as soon as she got comfortable, he was like, right back to your old schlub, Luke. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, come on, Luke, you've got a lady around. You should, like, put more effort in. It's um a bit bad of him, really. Um, And, yeah, it's interesting. Like, from the way, like, Jason describes it in the report, he almost, like, makes Luke seem positively repellent. Like, I have the vision of, like, him just being, like, smelly and gross and, like, Ray just being like, oh, he's really weird. Yeah, I thought the drawing was really interesting because it had Ray facing away and she was, like, had her fist clenched as if she mm. was just completely frustrated. And, I, you know, Luke's own training, he got pretty frustrated with Yoda. So I guess there's a parallel there. But we've been hearing kind of rumors for a while that Luke and Ray really aren't going to have the best of relationships at first. So I'm I'm really interested to see why that is. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, like there's clearly like tension between them. I remember in obviously spoiler talk, guys. <laughs> um, we're not very good at warnings. Um, um, in the earlier spoiler report from the big scene where Kylo and what appear to be the Knights of Ren when they face off with Rey and Luke, in that report, I think Jason mentioned that the discord between Luke and Rey was because Luke wanted Rey to kill Kylo and Rey didn't really want to. Um, so it could be something to do with that. And even beyond that, I think there's probably just going to be like general disagreement between them. Yeah. I think they're probably going to be on completely different pages. Like when it comes to like what's important to them and like what their goals and approaches to like strategy are. Like, I, I just don't see them being compatible, like as a teacher and apprentice. Yeah, I don't think they can be because you have to have some kind of interesting conflict going on. Um, yeah. But I don't think him, the whole him asking her to kill Kylo, that can't really come out of the blue. So it almost has to be set up in a way that he's there's something not quite right with Luke, that he's regressed partly, presumably because of what happened at the temple. Yes. So the past six years have been taking their toll on him. Mm, yeah, I think you would be going a bit stir crazy after six years stranded on a island by yourself with a bunch of puffins. Yeah. Oh, the other interesting thing was that um, they don't have him holding a lightsaber because that, again, kind of walks back one of the earlier spoilers about him having mm. the green saber from Return of the Jedi. Yeah. Yeah, I know the, um, again, the earlier report that we were talking about before, I know that was from like eyewitnesses mm. who like were apparently watching the film from a distance. So I do think it's very possible that what they saw was like mistaken in certain respects. Like, it, I could see like Luke doing all those like crazy things to the knights, like purely through the pure ch power of his mind, because one can only think that he's a very very powerful Jedi at this stage. Um, so I could see him having dispensed with the lightsaber altogether, and potentially even just considering it dangerous as a weapon. 
Um, which again could be an element of the frustration on Ray's part because she's like, uh, I have this weapon. I'd actually quite like to use it to please <laughs> And if Luke doesn't like want to train her in like lightsaber strategy, then she's kind of going to be screwed from that point of view. So that's possibly an aspect of it, but obviously that's heavily speculative. Mm. Yeah, it's interesting to think about. And what do you think about the the costume in general? Um, for yeah. Luke. Yeah, like it seemed like very nondescript, I guess. Like just the main thing I got from the report was just how like run like in what poor condition it seemed to be. Like and I hate to be facetious, but it just made me think like his Luke being rolling around in mud. <laughs> like, like how did he get this so dirty? Is there no like cleaning resources on Act Two? Like can't he use the sea to clean things? Um, but <laughs> those are questions that aren't ever going to be answered <laughs> apart from like maybe in like the the galaxy's guide to um home washing like soon to be published by lucasfilm <laughs> um, well, previously they but... described the outfit as almost like count dooku which is much grander and opulent in my opinion yeah no it seemed more shabby much more shabby than that in the but drawing. i think you're right that it does kind of reflect what his possible state of mind could be because the star wars is pretty good at doing that yeah no, it tends to be quite on the nose in terms of like how the costumes and the visuals like mirror what's going on in the characters' minds. Yeah. So with that said, if we move on to Kylo's news, <laughs> yes, most interesting report. Um, right. So this is another report from Making Star Wars, and this one goes: while his mask is very much the same as the one he wore in The Force Awakens, with some minor tweaks and revisions, Kylo's robes are somewhat different. The best way to describe Kylo Ren's underrobe is that it's sort of like the black costume Luke wore in Return of the Jedi. However, the notable thing about the costume is the cape itself. According to sources, Kylo Ren is wearing a Darth Vader cape in Star Wars Episode Eight. The cape is said to be like the one Darth Vader wears in The Empire Strikes Back Return of the Jedi. However, the cape does not have the same chain clasp. It is not clear if this cape is one Kylo made to resemble that of his grandfather's, or if he actually procured one of Darth Vader's capes that probably fell into the hands of collectors in the the Star Wars galaxy. So, what do you make of this, Kirsty? I'm wondering how they know it's inspired by Vader, or that it's actually one of Vader's capes, because Vader's cape is just a black cape right yeah that that was kind of my thought like when you think about Darth Vader like his cape is perhaps like the most nondescript element of his outfit it's just like a very plain long black cape um it doesn't like scream Darth Vader in singularity obviously it's an important part of his costume like as a whole thing like the whole shebang and whatnot but like on its own it's kind of a bit meaningless to me so it's a bit strange and I do just wonder if perhaps Kylo is wearing a black cape and that the people like Jason's sources they saw this black cape and thought oh my god it's like Darth Vader's and then that's what they reported to Jason yeah and and that that if if you're one of the people who think that Kylo is going to become more and more like Vader over time it kind of plays into Mm. that confirmation bias where you know you think that he's fixating on another part of vader's iconic costume so gradually he's going to end up that way himself um Mm. to me it just sounds like he might just be wearing a black cape and the one detail that they mention that vader has is that chain and they actually explicitly Mm. say that kylo's doesn't have that so it really is just a black cape yeah like 
I, 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 I'm not really sure it's Starfader's cape, to be honest. Um, like, like obviously we might learn more when we hear about Jason and Co talking about in the podcast, because like in the podcast, now this is podcasting, they tend to elaborate on these kind of kinds of things and give like further context. Um, but yeah, as it stands, I'm not really convinced that he's actually trying to emulate Vader by wearing this cape like that. Um, I do think it might just be that Kylo is right now wearing a cape. Um, <laughs> without necessarily like referencing his granddad. Um, and to be honest, if he is referencing Darth Vader, then that raises like all these kinds of confusing questions for me. It's like, does Snoke have like this grab bag of like Darth Vader paraphernalia? <laughs> and then every time Kylo does something really, really bad that obviously Snoke thinks is great, then he's like, "Come on, Kylo, come on, put your hand in, pick something." <laughs> and he's like, "Oh, oh, what are we gonna get? What are we gonna get?" It's like, oh, the cape! Yay! Yeah, it's it's a bit silly. I mean, the part that I actually found more interesting than the cape was the idea of him wearing an outfit that's similar to Luke's underneath. Mm, yeah, I found that interesting. Um, I think, actually, if you like, look at the layers of Kylo's costume, so obviously there's a ridiculous number of layers on that costume. It's insane. Like, And if you strip it down to a certain level, like what he was wearing in Force Awakens was kind of like that style. Like anyway, so I do just kind of wonder if it's like in- indicative of like these outermost layers coming off, like in him just having like more of a pared down style for episode yeah. eight. Yeah, I mean, if he's going to be on up two, which we think he might be for a decent amount of time, then he has to have something that's more practical. Yeah, no, I like I, I expect Adam probably insisted <laughs> because there's obviously all these stories about him just endlessly tripping over his costume. And just getting absolutely incandescent with rage. Um, and while that's great for like character building in your first movie, um, it probably like loses a lot of the novelty factor <laughs> um, when you've done it 50 times. Mm. Um, so yeah, I'm sure it's like probably a practical decision if they're having him wear that kind of outfit. Yeah, I think I think it will be a variation, but it will still be recognisably Kylo Ren, especially if they're saying that he has basically the same helmet. Yeah, no, definitely. So I think of if any aspect of Kylo's costume is iconic now, it's the helmet. People really know the yeah. helmet. And yeah, again, it'll be interesting to see like when the helmet first comes off. Like it's obviously the moment when the helmet came off in Force Awakens was very significant. Um, and like I'm sure that there will be another reveal moment in Episode Eight because while we know what Kylo looks like, we don't know what he's going to look like with that healed scar. So I do think there's going to be some kind of big reveal scene like for that. Yeah. Be interesting if it's for Ray or some other character, but I'd imagine they'd make a point of having a like a build up scene to that. If that makes yeah, sense. even if Ray isn't the first person to see the scar, I think it would have an impact on her because she gave it to him. So Yes. Um right. Have we said all we want to say about the costumes? I think so. Okay, awesome. Um, right, so the next story is a very new piece of news. I f- believe it's from today, but Adam Driver, he's promoting his new film Patterson in the UK right now. And he was interviewed by Virgin Radio. And he basically made some interesting comments about like his part in Episode 8. Um, and there's lots of like um and ah in, so please forgive me. I'm going to try and be Adam Driver for 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> and I won't be very good at it. Um, 
and basically the question was about how does it feel to like go back to a character se- several times over as you will in Star Wars rather than just having one shot at it as is the case in most films um, and this is the answer yeah no I like it I think of anything, any movie, any play, I always feel at the very end of it, I wish I could go back and start it from the beginning because there are things I want to change or make clearer or things I knew were operating in the first one that no one else knew about. But you get to tell, maybe that's part of the story in the second one. I don't know, it's all, um, I mean, I'm not saying that's that's what happens, but... And that's literally where the transcript ends. Yeah, I, I wasn't actually able to listen to this, Kirsty, but I believe you did. Yeah, I listened to it this morning. Um, right, he's got a funny way of speaking because sometimes you can feel the cogs turning, like he's suddenly realizing, oh wait, I might be saying a bit too much here. Yes, no, even reading the transcript, you can tell that. It's like, <laughs> uh, I, mean, I mean, I'm not saying that's what happens. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like it's like, oh god, he's so frightened. <laughs> like, He's obviously talking about episode eight there because she was asking him. And I think this is the only um, chance he's had of going back to a character aside from his working girls. Mm. Um, so it is this idea that there was all this backstory that we didn't know about that will might it might change our perception of Kylo Ren in The Force Awakens going forward. What do yeah. you think? Yeah, no, definitely. That's very much the impression I got. Um, like, so it's obvious to me that Adam knew something very, very important about his character that he was able to have inform his performance and how that character behaved, but no one else knew anything about that. Um, so yeah, it's going to be really interesting to find out what that was. I would expect it's probably something like his motivation for like turning on the Jedi. It would have to be something big because it's clearly like some facet of this character that it's extremely important to how we perceive him and how he perceives himself. Um, so yeah, I'd expect it to be something huge along those lines. Yeah. Um, and that's probably why he's frightened because he's touching upon very much forbidden territory. Well, I guess it's forbidden and that they shouldn't be giving anything away, but at the same time, um, Adam and JJ Abrams have had quite a few interviews where they've strongly implied that Kylo Ren isn't a villain in that he thinks that he's doing things wrong himself. He actually thinks that he's justified in his actions. So there's got yeah. to be a reason behind that, even if it's one that we're not going to agree with. It's got mm-hmm. to be something that changes the game somehow. Yeah, no, totally. Um, so that I, I think it's like it's so often the case, isn't it? The most interesting villains, they have to be believing they're doing these things for like a good and just cause. It can't just be, ha I enjoy being evil. That's not particularly interesting with a few very notable exceptions um because yeah like most of the time like it's much more powerful and much more impactful if you can really buy these characters as people who are doing awful things for reasons that they can justify in their own minds yeah and if he's the he's not the big bad snoke is um just like palpatine was and anakin wasn't and even vader wasn't so there's this idea that yes they are a bad guy and that they're doing bad things but their reason behind that will become part of the story and we didn't need to know Palpatine's backstory or we probably don't even need to know that much about Snoke we just need to know that he's bad for the purposes of the narrative anyway yeah no exactly I think they are not shy about letting you know that Snoke is evil (laughs) I'd be very surprised if they gave Snoke like a tortured backstory (laughs) like when Snoke was 12 he looked on in horror as his 
disgusting mutant parents were mown down by Leia and Han. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, um, that's not going to (laughs) happen. You never know. Um, Yeah, maybe that will be like what happens in 10 years. Snoke, a Star Wars story. (laughs) (laughs) I can't get over how stupid a Star Wars story sounds. Yeah, I thought they were calling them anthologies. No, they are calling them a Star Wars story. I I think they kind of have a low opinion of the intelligence of the general public and they thought they wouldn't know what an anthology was. Oh, man. Okay. I know. It's really depressing. It sounds so much better. It does. It does. It's a real missed opportunity, in my opinion. Um, Right. Are you ready to move on? Yep. Okay, awesome. And so the second story is that Daisy Ridley has commented on Raylo. Oh God. <laughs> I know. It's like when, when actors and fandom collide. <laughs> it's, it's generally always horrible and cringe. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to discuss. Um, so I will read out the questions and the answers here. Um, I, I won't try to impersonate Daisy. Oh, and this I, was with Yahoo Movies, right? Yes, it was with Yahoo Movies. Thank you. You're doing my business for me. <laughs> um, right. So, interviewer, I've got to imagine people will occasionally ask you something about Ray's parents, since that's such an essential Star Wars mystery. What else do you get asked when they do ask? Well, the big thing on social media is Raylo. I think people are interested in the romance of it, and if anything romantic is going to happen. So yeah, I'd say parents first and then that. So, what are your feelings on Raylo? It's kind of amazing to me, because it's young people that have been talking about it. It's weird. When I was on social media, and I still do follow the Instagram stuff, if anyone's reading this, I do follow it, but these 12, 13-year-old girls and boys are having these really interesting conversations about abuse and manipulation and chemistry and connection. So it's actually kind of eye-opening. I don't think at that age I would have thought so deeply about something like that. So to see kids have conversations like that I think is really cool. Regardless of where it ends up, it's the conversation that's really interesting. So... Kirsty, how how did you react when you first saw that Daisy had been speaking about Raylo? Um, at first, I was really worried about it because I thought that the interviewer would have brought it up. And mm. if you bring up a shipping name like that, it's just a bit like, uh, please don't. Yeah. Um, but overall, I think that Daisy's comments were really great. Um, not pro or anti Raylo. Like I'm not I'm not interested in that side of it so much. But I think it's really great to see her engaging in, on such a deeper level with the fans and understanding yeah. the, the debate herself even if she's not going to comment on where she stands in it the fact that she understands the discourse going on is is very interesting yeah no definitely it's really cool because like i'm sure like as for you like it makes always makes me cringe a bit when i see actors talking about shipping in fandom it's like oh no baby i wish you weren't exposed to that <laughs> um but yeah, like I think she spoke about it in a really good and intelligent way because it's very easy to speak about these things and just go, oh yeah, that's so weird, man. <laughs> I right, don't know exactly. What those she bunch could... of weirdos are doing. <laughs> yeah, she could have been quite dismissive of it, um, yeah. and I'm sure there are parts of the Raylo community that she would find odd in that. <laughs> you know, when when things get a bit R-rated and everything, that's different. <laughs> oh gosh! But if you're talking about it from a reading of the actual story, then that's yeah. something that they should be able to comment on. They obviously can't give much away in terms of the future plot, mm. but the idea she, you know, she does start talking about people are interested in the romance of it, and if anything romantic is going to happen, that yeah. is something that people are talking about. So yeah. it's natural for her to think about it too yeah no exactly and like you say it's really nice that she is like taking the time to actually understand these things and see 
what is actually being said rather than just going, oh, that's really weird. <laughs> um, yeah, and, and it's just really cool. Like, she's clearly aware of the conversations that are happening. Um, like you, I don't think this has any bearing whatsoever on <laughs> whether Rayla will become real. Um, but yeah, it's just cool to see an actor like being respectful and intelligent when they talk about this kind of topic. You know, I will say, I do think it's interesting that she brings up, to contrast with the parentage issue, the mm. possibility of a romance with Kylo Ren. Yeah. Because if you take those two things together, it, mm. wouldn't it be really odd in hindsight if she was talking about a potential romance with her cousin or brother? Yeah, you'd really think she wouldn't want to bring it up. Um, especially to say things like um, chemistry and connection and the romance of it. Like, I'm not saying that means that she herself sees those things or knows that those things were meant to be present in the film. But like you say, to talk about it in those terms, when, as you say, if they are related, she would know if Kylo were her brother or Kylo were her cousin. Like, you'd think she'd just back way off that subject. Yeah, because she was the one who brought it up. Like, she did not need to discuss Raylo. She she said it. Right. Like, if they, if they really are related, that would be a very wrong reading of the movie. It's almost like they would want to correct that. Yes. Or at least steer people away from it so that her comments wouldn't have been as neutral as they were. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, it's like such a perfect politician's answer. It's like, I take absolutely no side. But yeah. the debate is interesting, but which is really the best thing she should have done. Like, don't go there, Daisy. Seriously, you'll never listen to this, but don't weigh too deeply into shipping. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, oh. even if Raylo were to be canon, there, mm. there are, you know, elements of shipping. And we're going to have a larger conversation about shipping at some point anyway. Yeah. Um, but I, if I was an actor, I would stay away from it. Yeah, no, exactly. Like, it's one thing, like, as fans, like, engaging with shipping is a fun activity. Cool and awesome. I, Like, I just, like, when I try to put my, try to put myself in Daisy's place, that must just be so unimaginably weird. I don't know if they have to have, like, therapy or something to get used to the prospect of this happening to them. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I'm sure she just, it must be, like, water off a seal's back at this point, because her life must have been completely transformed by this yeah it's just one of the a myriad of things that must be completely alien to her yeah no exactly you must need a really thick skin i think to be the star of the biggest movie franchise in history definitely um right is there anything else we want to say uh no i don't think so okay cool um right then the next piece of news and the final one actually for now so keeping the news section relatively tight is that Rogue One won't have a title crawl. This is from Star Wars Newsnet, and essentially they've been talking to one of their sources, and they say this. However, after our conversation yesterday, we are fully confident that we won't see the crawl in Rogue One. Our source was crystal clear that the film does not use the traditional Star Wars crawl, and that the film's introduction of the story to the audience differs from the classic films in the series. So what do you think about this, Kirsty? Do you think it's the right call to omit the cruel? I do. I think it's a really good way to distinguish it from the sagas, um, mm. the saga films. And I don't... When What would they need to say? Because it's a prequel to A New Hope. So yeah. it's not like you need to catch people up to speed. Uh, yeah, like, an, like, like you say, the political climate is going to be almost identical to the one set out in A New Hope. So... No point in stating that again. And 
like virtually all films can manage perfectly well without a write-up at the beginning telling you what's been happening yeah. <laughs> and so I see no reason why Rogue One can't do that as well and like you say I think it's a really good move to help it establish its own identity yeah I, I think it's the right decision yeah no definitely I think it's a really good call um so how do we think it will start then if they're saying it's going to start like in a quite a strikingly different way from what we're used to have you got any thoughts I have no idea. I haven't really given that much thought. Um, I was actually thinking like that it might start with baby Jin, because obviously we know it like shows Jin when she's a much younger child, like apparently at two different ages, and that I do kind of wonder if it's going to show us like Jin kind of like thinking back to her early childhood, like and then it will cut from that to like her waking up in her prison cell. Oh yeah, that bit from the trailer. Yeah. No. Exactly. So like, I, it's pure speculation. It's just speculation based on what we have been given. Yeah, that sounds possible. Yeah, like I think it'd be an interesting way to do it. So I don't think we've ever had a Star Wars film to do that, like for big time skip. Um, so that could fit with what Star Wars news and that are being told about. It's starting in quite a different way. Yeah, that makes sense. I can't believe it's or it's so close now. Yeah, I know. It's so strange. Yeah. Like um, the whole year's just gone so fast. It's yeah. like... Oh my god, Force Awakens came out nearly a year ago. <laughs> my life transformed nearly a year ago. <laughs> it's so strange. Um, yeah, I just can't wait to see it now. It just needs to hurry yeah. up and get her. Yeah, no, exactly. It's kind of like at the point where discussing spoilers and news reports and stuff. It's kind of like, oh, it's all well and good, but it really is just around the corner. Let's just have the film, okay, guys? Yeah, I feel like we've been talking about it for such a long time now that we just needed to get her. Yeah, no, exactly. Right, we said all we want to say about Rogue One. Yes. Okay. And I I just want to move on to our next section because I'm excited about that. Yes. No, exactly. It's like, go away, Rogue One. We don't (laughs) want to talk about you anymore. (laughs) Sorry. Um, Right. So here we have our spotlight section. And this week is going to be somewhat different from usual because we have had a big event and that event has been that J.J. Abrams' audio commentary on The Force Awakens has come out. And it's actually really, really interesting. And I don't know about you, Kirsty, but I really wasn't expecting much from this. We had a conversation a couple of weeks ago where both of us said, oh, he's not going to give anything away. I mean, he doesn't give anything away. But equally, we weren't expecting him to confirm things that we thought we'd seen in the movie. Yeah, exactly. I think we probably underestimated how interesting it is to actually have a session like a sit down session with this movie as the director talks over it and essentially explains like the directorial intent like what he meant for people to get from particular choices and particular decisions from a filmmaking point of view because obviously for the last few months there's been these raging debates like on forums and stuff over like what certain scenes mean what certain lines of dialogue mean what certain character interactions mean and so on and so forth and you almost have different sectors of fans at each other's throats because they completely disagree on their readings of particular elements of this film and so actually having the director come along and say oh no i we meant it like this this is kind of how it's meant to be read that's actually really useful and yeah it was just so so interesting yeah i don't think it was going to shut down conversations because obviously we still have a year to go till the next movie and only that will really provide us with the answers as to why things are happening oh yeah no sure but like yeah like it's that thing where the director's intent isn't absolute 
like right. it's also about what the audience bring to it but yeah. sorry please go on. no i mean i'm just echoing what you were saying it was really great to listen to it and think oh yes i got what he meant there like when i first watched the movie i understood what he was trying to do yeah and no exactly you're kind of on the level with jj yeah and, we, and we're going to go through all these various points that we found most interesting but there was no point when i was watching it where what he said truly shocked me in that I, I did think there were parts of it where I was surprised at how um, free, freely he was speaking and at mm. how much he actually did give away. But um, there wasn't anything that like had me questioning what I'd seen. It all lined up with what I, I thought I understood about The Force Awakens. So that was encouraging. Yeah, no, exactly. It's almost a bit like weird because you do kind of feel like you're in this like fandom echo chamber sometimes, like just surrounded by other fans. And like... I've always been pretty confident in my readings. Like I've been pretty sure that they are backed up by what is in the film itself. But there's almost just like this feeling of like vindication from hearing the director say it as well. Well, I think it's because like, some yes. of the debates have been so heated. Mm, um, yeah, that it is kind of nice just to be able to point to these quotes now and say, "Hey, this is what JJ meant at least." Yeah. So, yeah. No, definitely. Good. It's so interesting to like have that. Yeah. Like, perspective on it i know i know back in april a lot of people were kind of disappointed with the extras on the initial dvd release and said that they wish there had been a commentary but i'm kind of glad that it didn't come out then and it waited a bit longer so that the fandom was free to speculate and debate it a bit more because it's been really interesting yeah no definitely like it has sparked such fascinating conversations and like people have literally written like dissertations <laughs> on like particular directorial choices in this movie, and yeah, I, and I think that's amazing. Like you know, a piece of art has been successful when it provo- engages people to that extent, and like provokes these furious debates and like passionate arguments, because it's not necessarily a case of like right or wrong. It's just a case of people having very different perspectives on things. And now the director has come out and he has essentially indicated that certain like perspectives and ways of looking at the film are more in line with what was intended than others. Essentially. Yeah, and I don't think he's saying that if people see it differently, they're somehow wrong. Because as you say, mm. it is a piece of art and people are free to interact with it and interpret it however they choose. But yes. I think it's definitely worth being familiar with the overall intent of the creators so that you can have you you are aware of that so that it can kind of um, lead you into the second part of the story. Yeah, no, exactly. Because while we can say it means anything we want, like it's in particularly useful to know what the creators were thinking, because this is the first part of a three-part story. So obviously their intent when it came to The Force Awakens is going to be tied to their intent when it comes to the subsequent films, because it's not like this film was made in isolation. It's part of something bigger. Right, and we know that while JJ isn't directing or writing the next one, him and Ryan seem to have been working quite closely together. Yeah, no, exactly, which is really interesting. Right, should I explain what the setup is going to be with this, Kirsty? Yeah, go for it. Cool. Um, so essentially, I would like to say a massive thank you to Mummies and Lightsabers on Tumblr because she did essentially all the hard graft and wrote up immensely extensive notes on what was actually said in the commentary, which is incredibly useful for our purposes because it meant we didn't have to make those notes ourselves. So thank you very much. Um, We really appreciate that. Both of us, Kirsty and I, have watched the commentary. So we have our own insight into it as well. And we might like add our own little observations and stuff that 
like are from our own viewings. Um, but a lot of the transcripts are going to come from that blog. So thank you. Um, but yes, we will also offer our own insights. And obviously, we're going to be discussing what JD actually said. Just wanted to make sure I credited the source properly. Um, right. So you ready for me to dive into the first one? Yes, let's go for it. Okay, cool. I'm sorry to disappoint anyone, but I won't try and do a J.J. Abrams voice. Because um, <laughs> I don't think I'd be very successful. Um, probably for the but, best. Yeah, probably for the best. Um, I, I'm not exactly a very talented impression. <laughs> um, okay, so the first quote we're going to talk about comes when Hux is looking over Finn's record. So he's essentially looking at Finn's baby photo and going, what the hell? <laughs> um, and this is what J.J. said. I wanted to see that Hux was trying to figure Finn out. He was trying to study and understand how this could have happened, how this soldier of his could walk away from the First Order. And this is actually an important thing for me in a story. I wanted there to be this character who not just abandoned, but did so because of integrity. There was a sort of righteousness to his leaving. So what do we think about that in terms of Finn and what it says for the kind of character he is? Um, I really like this quote. Um, because I know I know that there's been a lot of debate as to why Finn decided to leave. Um, yes. But it was always a preference of mine and, and a reading of mine that he left because it was a moral decision for him to leave. That yeah. He, it wasn't like some mysterious will, will of the force. It was his own decision and that's what makes it really powerful. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I do think much of The Force Awakens is about these characters like self-determining and taking back their destinies from like the hands of fate because that's really true of like Finn and Rey like and even Kylo to an extent because all these characters they kind of start off like in this almost like helpless place like and then as the film goes along you gradually see them like gain more autonomy and make decisions for themselves um like so those are can be really good decisions like Finn's decision to leave the first order can be really awful decisions, like Kylo's decision to kill his dad, but you do still have the sense across all of them that it's characters who were controlled by fate and like were just almost quite passive in a way, just allowing others to steer them. And then over the course of the film, they redefine themselves through their own actions and choices. And yeah, that's really interesting. And and like you say, I like the idea that with Finn, like it was like a moral decision. And it was something he did because he knew it was terrible to slaughter people in the village. Um, and that was his reason. It was like conscientious subjecting. Um, so I've seen some people suggest like his choice to put down his gun was like the force, like essentially influencing him and sh- taking hold of his destiny. But I can't help but think that robs him of some of his independence and like self-determination. Yeah, I... I want the characters to have agency, otherwise it becomes all quite meaningless. Yeah. Um, so that when he's making that decision, just as you say, when Kylo's killing his father, it's the character's choice. Like that's mm. that tells us something about their state of mind in the moment. And Finn's arc across the story is that he's come from this faceless, anonymous background where he wasn't really able to make any decisions and mm. until that changed. And that's, yes. that's when his story truly begins. Yeah, like it's just really cool and it's just another reminder of what an awesome character Finn is. Yeah, I really love Finn. Same. He's so cool. It helps that John's so awesome. Yeah. He's just so charismatic. Um, Right. Then the next quote we have is about Finn and Ray's first meeting. 
And here we have JJ. When we first started shooting, we hadn't really figured out the proper dynamic between Finn and Ray. It was much more contentious. And so in this first scene, where they come together, it just didn't work. And that was what we shot originally in Abu Dhabi. And so we ended up reshooting their entire first conversation because we needed to change their dynamic. Originally, they were much more angry at each other. And truthfully, it wasn't working. Um, but yeah, what did you think about JJ's comments about their first meeting, Kirsty? Um, I think this was one we might have discussed before when they were doing a bit of promotion for the commentary. And yeah, yeah. I think we touched on it briefly. So I remember at the time we thought we're going to hold off having like the deep discussion because obviously we know the whole thing's going to come out in a few weeks. Yeah, but I really appreciated JJ talking us through the initial ideas that they had and then giving us that idea that it, you know, it doesn't always work smoothly. Like this is a creative live process. Um, yeah. So, you know, they don't really know how things are going to go until they start shooting all the time, especially mm-hmm. with things like something as complicated as a dynamic between two characters. Um, yes. So of Finn and Ray's dynamic obviously wasn't set in stone. And he, I think later on, he talks a lot about how sweet and joyous their interactions were. And that's definitely what comes across for me in their interactions. Yeah. It's just really lovely to see. And I'm kind of glad they didn't go for that angrier. I mean, they're a little bit angry at each other at first because obviously they're under very stressful circumstances. <laughs> yeah. But I like that that quickly gives way to a genuine friendship and connection because they're obviously both so starved of that. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think it does make sense on kind of like a psychological level that these like two people are so lonely and like you say, have no real experience of like normal positive human relationships that when they meet each other and they're both quite similar and they're quite both like young and enthusiastic still because they're too young to have had that beating out of them they really do latch onto each other just this like really innocent like attachment and like love for each other and I think that's really quite beautiful like because it is just so spontaneous and instant and it's just the kind of relationship that makes you happy to look at them because they're just like oh they're so sweet I love them yeah I think they have a lot of cute physical comedy as well like them with the hand grabbing and then um that part in the falcon when Finn is like leaning on her head to to reach (laughs) up and see what's outside there are lots of cute little slap moments like that oi get off (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> my best friend um yeah no i love that moment it's really good um and yeah like just the chemistry between them like it's really nice like that got me through the whole raftar scene like the raftar scene is probably my least favorite in the whole Same. <laughs> but because daisy and john are so lovely together and as jj said they settled on this like nice sweet lovely chemistry between them like that makes them fun to watch still it's like you don't need to care about the ridiculous gobble monsters because you have these two really appealing characters in front of you i did find it interesting like from the production standpoint as you say to really get an insight into how things have changed and how like decisions were made while filming was still ongoing um, so cle- they were clearly taking advantage of the natural relationship that Daisy and John had because they were obviously great friends. Um, and I think that really came through in their characters dynamic as well. Um, and it's interesting because I think it's in the novelization. If you look there, that probably captures more of like that original concept of the relationship. So I know some people were confused like because the way the novelization showed them interacting, it didn't quite jive with what the film showed. And I think, yeah, like that's just an interesting glimpse into production hell because that's why the disparity is a thing. 
Yeah, the novelizations are interesting to read because they're based on earlier scripts. Mm. But you do kind of have to take them with a pinch of salt because obviously stuff has changed. Yeah, I think novelizations like the bane of the Lucasfilm story group. <laughs> oh yeah, I, Pablo Hidalgo's tweeted about he doesn't like them. He doesn't, yes. he doesn't think that they're relevant these days. And I think that kind of has a point because you get the DVDs pretty early on and there's all sorts of other tie-in materials, but yeah, I still read them. So Yeah, well, for Star Wars, you have to. But yeah, no, it's so interesting, like slight tangent, but with novelizations, that really is the relic from like the pre-VHS days when you were essentially not going to see this movie again after it left, left cinemas. Yeah. Like excluding reruns. Um, like, so I remember my dad had like a flip book of Alien that was literally just like steals from the film Alien, like every scene. <laughs> and I, I guess that was the only way they could relive the film. I was like, I'm so glad I didn't grow up in the 70s. Yeah, it's a completely different way to engage with media. Like yeah. you say, we've been able to go back and watch The Force Awakens over and over in the year. And, it, yes. and you do pick up on lots of different things that you might not have in your first viewing. Yeah, no, exactly. That's like what this 21st century consumer culture has brought us. Like that's why you have all this in- ridiculously intense engagement over films and stuff because they are there to consume ad infinitum. Like you can just go back to them over and over and find all the meaning you want, which is obviously interesting for many reasons. Um, right. Are we ready to move on? Yeah. Um, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to read two different quotes and then I think we should talk about them together. So I think they essentially, they raise like similar threads. Okay. Um, so I think it's best to have one big discussion. So basically the first comment is from when they're on the Falcon and like Ray expresses her desire to return to Jakku again. And so JJ says, for some reason I needed to know that she expected to and wanted to go back. And this idea that she won't share with Finn here is, of course, because she feels like the only belonging she's ever going to have is her family. And if she leaves, she'll never get a chance to see them. So there was a very powerful idea that she desperately wanted was belonging, which she'll get, but just not how she expects. And then the next comment is from when Maz is speaking to Ray in the castle after Ray has had the Force vision. And JJ says... She's telling Ray what she needs to hear, which is stop trying to go home. It's not right. It's a waste. And that the belonging you seek is not behind you. It's ahead. And this is the thing she can't accept right now. The idea that she has anything to do with this man that she thought was a myth just this morning. And now here she is being told that his destiny is somehow tied into her choices and her actions. So I find this really, really interesting, especially for like the whole dialogue about who Ray's parents are. And what role, if any, they will play in the future. Because the impression I get from these quotes, when you put them together, is that Ray is absolutely 100% staying on Jakku because she's clinging to that hope for her family. And then what JJ is saying is that that hope, the hope that her family are going to come back for her, like that she's going to be reunited with them, that's the futile hope. Like, that she should give up on the hope that her family are going to come back because they're gone. They're never going to come back. And she needs to go forward and forge a new path. And I do think much of this is implicit in The Force Awakens anyway. But I found it very interesting to hear it from JD's mouth, like, reiterated in those terms. Because he essentially says that Ray needs to give up on her family because they're gone. Yeah. Like, that's a paraphrase, but that is pretty much what he's saying. I know that there are plenty of people out there still thinking that Rey could be a Skywalker or Han and Leia's daughter. 
but this to me is JJ telling us that she's probably not because he is very explicitly saying that her family are not coming back and she's going to find belonging that's ahead of her and it's with those mm. people that she meets and she's met Finn um you know friends and connections in other ways besides family is what can, what she's going to find as her belonging yes no that's exactly what i got from this as well and i think this is probably like the big like unsung element of the commentary to be honest if anything because i really do find this very telling um i, I think this was the initial meaning of maz's words as well so i don't think that jj is actually spoiling anything here i don't yeah i don't think that's what the commentary's for um so you know, there might have been this sense of the mystery box, and obviously we've talked about that beforehand, so that there was an inkling that she could have been related. Mm. But maybe that's being almost unpacked now. So it's not yes. a spoiler, because it's not something that you're really supposed to hold on to super tightly for episode eight. Yeah, so they, they, you know, they probably don't want to be disappointing people if they're really invested in the idea of Ray being related to the original heroes. Yeah, I do think a lot of that. What what they're doing is expectation management, which I do think is very important because, like you say, it has become such a like overpowering belief in Ray Skywalker, especially. I do think they're trying to like overcome that and to get people to like reassess things and come at things from a different angle. Yeah, and it's this idea that if she was Luke's child, Luke would never have come and found her. You know, yeah, he's saying that if you go back. It's a complete waste of your potential, your time, and your life. Like, you will be there forever if you go back. Um, yeah. So I can't reconcile that with my idea of who Luke is, you know? Yeah. I just don't believe that Luke... I, I don't even see how it would happen in a way that wouldn't assassinate his character. That's just... Yeah. It just doesn't work for me. Yeah, I, I, I think, like, these comments from JJ, they remind me very much, like, the kind of comments that Pablo has been making about how Maz clearly refers to Ray's family and Luke is completely separate entities, for example. Like, they're different. Luke is not Ray's family. And, like, how when (laughs) Maz says, the the belonging you seek is not behind you, it is ahead. Like, in Pablo essentially said, it'd be a massive troll on Maz's part if, like, Han was her dad and he was literally upstairs. Yeah, and I've seen people (laughs) spin that as, oh, well how is Maz supposed to know? And I understand that from like an in-universe logical standpoint because she's just met Ray. She doesn't actually know her. Mm. But if we look at Maz as a storytelling device, she's being positioned as an oracle, like yeah. the older, wiser um, female character. So yeah. I think there's an extra layer to her words that it's not just her t- talking to Ray, it's her talking to us as well. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, And it kind of undermines that character. She's... <laughs> If she's actually meant to just be a bit clueless and doesn't really know anything. Exactly. It's like, like she's it's like, oh, well, that's a bit of a lame character then, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's almost part of her purpose to be that kind of guide for the audience and Ray to... And when you, you get to Maz's castle, that is kind of that break in the middle of the movie where Ray's path really does start to diverge from Finn's, but also that she gets pulled into the Force plot and that is her destiny. Yes. No, exactly. That's like a massive turning point in The Force Awakens. And it's definitely one of the most interesting sequences for many reasons. Um, right, we said everything we want to say about those quotes. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, then we will move on to the next comment, which is JJ talking as Ray flees Maz's castle. Um, right, it's a bit of a complicated one, this, but I'll do my best. 
This whole location of Mazes, of course, mirrors the cantina from A New Hope. As this Star Killer base mirrors the Death Star, these were the kind of locations that felt like a given in Star Wars. For example, we looked at it like a western or a fairy tale. What are the elements that you're going to see that makes it this genre, this specific genre? And clearly, in a western, you're going to have the dusty main street, the saloon, you're going to have the cowboys, you're going to have the bad guy who's probably dressed in black. You're probably going to have a castle and a prince and a princess, if you're looking at a fairy tale. We wanted to give these sort of fundamental, not cosmetic, but sort of prerequisite elements. These locations in which we set out our new story and our new characters. Whew. <laughs> Sorry, that's quite a biggie. Um, yeah, interesting quotes. Like, I, I think it's easy to misread this quote as saying that he was trying to make Star Wars like a Western or fairy tale. Mm. I absolutely think there's an element of that. Well, there, so it, think- yeah, Star Wars does have um, elements of Westerns and fairy tales, but I agree with you that it might have been slightly misinterpreted. Yeah, no, exactly. I don't think the comparisons JJ chose here were accidental or have nothing to do with Star Wars. I do think they have stuff to do with Star Wars, but it is important to point out that this comment, it's very much about saying that in the way that a fairy tale has castles and princes and princesses, Star Wars has a Death Star and Star Wars has a cantina. So those are elements that JJ put in his Star Wars movie to make sure it like fitted with the template of what a Star Wars movie essentially should be. So I think that's like the most overt and like literal reading of what he's saying here. I think that's literally what he means. But I do think it's very interesting that he chooses to refer to like westerns and fairy tales. Yeah. And especially like the central elements of westerns and fairy tales that he that chooses to talk about. I feel like here he's addressing um, some of the criticism that The Force Awakens was just a rehash of A New Hope mm-hmm. because it does have that framework and that's to purposely pull people back into recognising this as Star Wars and yeah. specifically the Star Wars of the original trilogy, not necessarily the prequels. Yes. Um, and he goes on to say, but these are this is a new story with new characters. It's just a familiar environment. And I think that is what's key and what you need to pick up on because... Yeah. The characters are very different. The dynamics are different. And I, th- yeah. I think that is what he's saying here. Yeah, no, totally. It's essentially saying there's a, an established playground, a playground that we know is lots of fun to ha- muck around in, but there's all sorts of new stuff going on in it. And that's like the curious thing. Um, and yeah, I particularly like the name checker fairy tales because obviously that ties into what we were saying a few weeks ago about Star Wars just being one big space fairy tale which is awesome, and we love it. And yeah, in particular, I really like that he name-checked Prince and Princess, because if you're a careful listener, Prince and Princess come up again later in the commentary, and ascent, like we'll discuss this again when we get to the relevant point and the relevant quote. But essentially, he compares Kylo to looking like a sort of prince when he takes the mask off, and then in the scene later on when Rey is escaping from her cell on Starkiller Base, JJ talks about Rey being like a princess, but a princess who can save herself. Like, So she has the noble knight in Finn who's coming to the rescue to save her, but she doesn't need him because she's already freed herself. Um, and so, yeah, I found that interesting. I, I expect it's probably subconscious. I don't think he made like this comment and then went on to make those comments about Kylo and Rey and intended for them to be 
smooshed together and read like his one coherent meaning but even if it was subconscious i still think it's interesting that those like fairy tale archetypes are present in those particular characters yeah and that is like you say what we discussed a few weeks ago that the characters while they're very developed and nuanced um they are based on these age-old archetypes Mm, Um, exactly and i do find it interesting that he was talking about this as we were actually at Mars's castle. So you can say, mm. yes, that's like the cantina in A New Hope, but it is also literally a castle. Yes. And I think Starkiller Base has elements of that as well. Yeah. Like, no, Ray, Ray escapes it, you know, she escapes the monster. So... Yeah. No, 100%. It's, like, full of fairy tale imagery and illusions. And it's also worth mentioning, when JJ is talking about the vision scene, he actually compares Ray to Cinderella. We had a discussion about this when the teaser clips came out from the commentary and essentially concluded that (laughs) JJ probably meant Sleeping Beauty but hey-ho, it's fine. Everyone's human. They get their Disney films mixed up. Um, But yeah, again, it ties into that whole idea of Rey being like this princess character and like that being like a conscious decision. And like you say, she's literally a castle, man. It's not subtle. (laughs) It's not exactly Cinderella's dream castle. Yeah, well, she's she's not only in a castle, but she runs out into the forest in this very dramatic fashion. I mean, you (laughs) you can't get more fairy tale than that, in my opinion. Yeah, no, true. That in itself is very Cinderella. It's, it's annoying she didn't lose a shoe and then Kylo found the shoe <laughs> and, and then like went in search. It's like, oh, whose shoe? Where's the girl who has the shoe? <laughs> yeah, I used to kidnap her. <laughs> yeah, the, the ultimate gesture of love. Of course. <laughs> um, right. Okay, to calm down, we have another comment. And this one is on Ray and Kylo's first meeting. And we have JJ. One of the new relationships that we were focusing on was between Kylo Ren and Ray. They've never met, but he's heard of this girl. And so, come, now comes a moment when their meeting is inevitable. And now we're back to our heroine. And this moment where she's about to, for the first time, be confronted by Kylo Ren, a character who she's going to have a very interesting relationship with moving forward. And then jump forward a little and he's talking over Kylo attempting to get in Ray's mind. So the idea here is that Kylo Ren's got inside of Ray's head, sees that she has seen the map and is now letting go of the droid as his goal and focusing just on her. And clearly you think, well, he must be able to just extract the information he wants now. But because he's taken her, you get a sense that there might be something else going on here. So, Kirsty, what do we think about this? Um, well... I never got the impression that Kylo Ren and Rey knew each other before anyway, but it's nice to have confirmation of that. Yeah. Um, Because I know I've seen theories that they might have met in Visions, and I suppose that might be technically still true, because she does see Mm. him with the Vision just when she was in Maz's castle, and maybe he's seen one of her, but they've never physically met anyway. Um, Yes. And then when he says he's heard of her, presumably he's just talking about when Mitaka earlier said that they were accompanied by a girl. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, I, I was listening to Clyde and Jedi Counselor. Yeah, me too. And they made such a big thing of it. Like, Kylo had like heard of her. Yeah. Like, she was like, some kind of like prophesized being. And I think that's possible. But, like, I think, like, guys, calm down. Step back. Step back. <laughs> yeah, I wondered if they'd just seen this quote in isolation and then forgot that earlier on someone actually said the girl to him. And he said, what girl? So. I think that must have happened. It was actually really funny watching Collider and hearing the host say, from the term layer, mummies and lightsabers. 
Oh my god, this is so weird. Yeah, it is weird. I've seen other um, websites citing it as a source as well. And it's just run, yeah. run by a fan. That, you know. Yeah, it's really cool for that blog. Um, like, it's very unusual and a bit odd when you get mainstream attention for stuff like that. Yeah, I'm guessing it's because it's we've still got two weeks before it's released in the US. So yes. they don't have any official sources to cite yet. But yeah, it must be a bit, a bit surreal for that Tumblr user. <laughs> yes no exactly getting national press attention (laughs) right yeah so these are like even beyond that whole question i think these are very interesting quotes to put it mildly um i think do you think jj's comment about that having a very interesting relationship moving forward do you reckon that's talking about moving forward in the force awakens or moving forward in the trilogy i think it's both and i don't think that he's spoiling anything there because they're clearly being set up to be the heroine and villain like that's the central dynamic and yes. i know that before the force awakens it, they were kind of setting it up to look like finn was going to be going against kylo and obviously he did fight him um yeah but that's not the central conflict in the way that kylo and ray are yes so i i i'm not surprised by what jj's saying there and people can read into it whatever they want really <laughs> yes no definitely what do you think about it I find JJ's quote about their relationship being very interesting. Very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, he did have yeah, a slight like, pause, like he always wasn't quite sure how to. Um, I know I'm sounding like I'm reading too much into it now. <laughs> yeah, um, no, I know it's the pause, but it was like he try. He was trying to find the the exact right words, and then opted for something that obviously wouldn't spoil too much. Yeah, um, I like. I think it's someone like um, a character who she's going to have a very interesting relationship with <laughs> i should never try to do american accents it's awful <laughs> i'm so sorry americans <laughs> um but yeah there was a definite pause like you say he was clearly searching for the right word um and yeah that's the only like significant pause of note i noticed in the whole commentary actually he seemed pretty smooth for the most part um i'm sure he had copious notes and presumably like big like notes in red saying do not mention x yeah <laughs> like but, key moments yeah but it is very interesting because as you say like there's this quote right after where he's talking about kylo acting in a very strange way mm. and I'm, I'm glad that he drew attention to that because that's something that you and i have talked about quite extensively and, I, and in the um mythology section we uh, was it last week or the week before um i brought up this example this you know mm. ray's abduction as yes. something that you're supposed to sit up and wonder about because, as JJ says, it's not actually logical. You know, he could yeah. take the droid or he could take the map from Ray's mind at that very moment and he chooses mm. not to and we're supposed to wonder why. Yeah. No, so I've seen people like twist themselves in circles trying to explain how Kylo is making the absolutely rational and logical decision to kidnap this girl because they had to get away quickly because the resistance were coming and that it was futile to try and go and get the droid, blah, blah, blah. And JJ here is saying, no, 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 that's not the point. The point is that Kylo is making really weird and oddball decisions and we're meant to recognise that and think, why is he doing this? What? What is it about this girl? It's not even particularly subtle because later on they also draw attention to it when Hux comes in when he's talking to Snoke. Yeah. And says, oh, he didn't get the droid. He said that the girl was all we needed. And because of that, the plan has failed. <laughs> yeah, so exactly. Very he's silly. such a little snitch. <laughs> yeah, you're, you are supposed to be aware that Kylo messed up here. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, It's not his finest hour from 
a logical tactician point of view, to put it mildly. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he, he knocks Ray out and then gets her in his arms and walks through the battlefield. And he's not able to defend himself. Like, if someone decided to attack him, he's got both his hands full with this girl. Yeah. So it doesn't make any sense, really. Yeah, no. And it looks even more silly because, obviously, he's got these two stormtroopers not doing much, just walking behind him. Uh, and it's like, if she wasn't important, he would have just handed her off to them. Yeah. Like, if he really needed someone to carry her. It's just like, like Poe, right? He, just, he didn't manhandle Poe himself and drag him onto the ship. Can you imagine Kylo bridal carrying Poe? Hey, that is a ship, okay? <laughs> yeah, sorry, sorry. I, I need to be more respectful. Dark Pilot, I think it's called. Sorry, Dark Pilot. <laughs> Love you. <laughs> but I'm glad that JJ um, pointed this out because obviously their first meeting is supposed to be important. Like, that's yes. such their conflict. Um, yeah. But it's just nice to know that we're not crazy, that they actually made these decisions intentionally and he feels able to point them out. So it's not even that they're particularly spoilerific. Because they're right there in the story. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, and yeah, I just found it really interesting. Um, do you have any ideas about what the something else going on might be? Like, what is he saying there? Like, what does Kylo notice about Rey that makes him suddenly drop everything else and well, just focus on her? In the novelization, doesn't he say something? He's trying to read her mind and he says there is something. Mm. Like he recognizes something about her, and I don't know if it's her force sensitivity mm. or just something that he's not even sure what it is. It's just oh, some kind of recognition. Yeah. That um, I don't know. He needs to take her. Yeah, I f- I definitely think that like force sensitivity seems like the most likely thing, or some like inkling that she's force sensitive. And yeah, I I can't escape the idea that there has to be like some kind of really like serious shit that went down with like Ray's past. And like I say, it looks very, very unlikely that Kylo and Luke were directly involved at all in her being left behind. But I just can't escape the idea that there has to be some kind of linkage like between like their past. Like and I do not mean like a direct meeting because in this commentary, like he obviously says Kylo and Ray have never met. So unless he's playing like from a certain point of view game <laughs> um then yeah, you can't get around that. They've never met. So you can invent a, a background storyline that in, depends on Ray and Kylo having met when Kylo was still Ben. That can't have happened. But I, I do wonder if there's like visions or prophecy or something along those lines. Um, but yeah, it's just maddening. Like, it's impossible to figure out. And I think they've actually done a really good job in just making it completely unfathomable for any of us. Because if you look on forums, people are just confused at this stage. They're kind of like, well, what is it? <laughs> yeah, I think it's something that's going to be answered later on in the story. But just the whole way he kidnaps her, I feel like sets things up in a certain way with the subtext. Yes. Um, I don't want to go too much into it because we've, we've mm. already discussed this before. But yeah, people will interpret it however they want. I have my interpretation and you have yours. And Yeah. We'll, we'll, sure. we'll see. I'm sure it's going to be something that will be answered by the, the upcoming story either way. Yeah, no sure. Um, right. Okay. Then we have Han and Leia talking about little baby Ben. No, not quite. Um, but we have JJ talking about Han and Leia. And so JJ says, you're watching two parents grappling over an incredibly difficult child. And I think that's a very relatable parental conversation. To see it between Han and Leia, I think, was particularly interesting. And you just see how what happened with their son, Ben. It really ripped them apart. 
When Leia mentions Supreme Leader Snoke, you realise that they are aware of this figure that is responsible for seducing their son over to the dark side. And you realise that Han has been on the run trying to get away from this this whole time. And in this moment, Leia implores Han not to give up, to do anything he can to save their son. I think this is a pretty literal reading of what is literally on screen instead between Han and Leia. But I think, again, it's the whole thing where even though it might seem literal and clear to us, it's useful to have the clarification from the horse's mouth, so to speak. Yeah, like you say, there's nothing particularly oh, wow about this, but it does mm-hmm. shut down um, some of the theories that I have seen out there that um, somehow um, Han and Leia were having kind of a veiled conversation about something else. Um, yes. So I've seen people who maybe think that Ray is their long lost daughter, um, mm-hmm. kind of having a, an idea that they might also be talking about some previous tragedy that was the reason Ben might have fallen. And that was somehow yeah. related to them losing Ray in some way. Yeah. So, to me, even though I never, I never interpreted it that way, um, JJ seems to be pretty much shutting down that here. He's making it very clear that it's about Ben, Han, and Leia, and that Snoke was. I, I'm surprised that he actually says that Snoke is responsible. Because mm. that's that's pretty heavy. Yeah. And we've had that. There's been lots of discussion about because we don't know the story yet. But whether Snoke really was responsible, whether how old Kylo was at the time, we, we know that now from Bloodline a bit more. Um, mm. But previously, people were thinking that he was quite young when this all happened. Yeah. Um, so how much responsibility did he really have and what exactly went down? Yeah. No, it, it's really interesting. Like so I have seen it suggested, even by Pablo, who's obviously part of the story group, that like when Leia says, oh, Snoke was responsible for luring our son to the dark side. Um, like I've seen Pablo suggest that that's just like a mother talking, you know, like saying, like implying that the the mother can't bear to face her son's own culpability, so she puts all the blame like on this evil monster for it. Yeah, um, like I, I, obviously, I I don't think JJ is trying to like absolve Ben of like any responsibility or choice because he clearly chose to like make the turn, and he did terrible, terrible things. But I do think JJ's comments they imply a certain level of like faith in Leia's interpretation. They imply that he believes like that there's good reason for Leia to believe that Snoke was responsible. Like yeah. he respects that. There has to be a certain level of manipulation because that's why those big bad characters exist. Um yes. you know, you can say it was Anakin's choice to go to the dark side, but he he was still being manipulated by Palpatine. Yeah. So I don't think that takes away their agency, it just makes it more tragic. Yeah. And, no, definitely. Yeah, and this scene is just, it's really sad because you really do see that it's its pushed Han and Leia away from each other, that they haven't seen each other for a long time, perhaps before The Force Awakens starts. Mm. Um, and that Han, as JJ says, has been on the run. So when he bumps into Finn and Rey and gets the Falcon, it's this idea that he, you know, he's an old man at this point, but he's gone back to this life of smuggling. And mm. he briefly had this time in his life when he was raising a son and had a wife and things presumably were a bit stable, but yeah. but that's kind of fallen away so that the characters have regressed somewhat. And, and then he needs to come back to this part of the story to really complete his arc. Yeah, no, totally. Um, and I think that lends like real like emotion and depth to like those characters, like you say, have regressed. 
because there is something oddly pathetic about a 70 year old man like still smuggling and doing the same antics that he was doing as like a 30 year old man you know it's like he's too old for that kind of lifestyle really like and while it's fun for him and he's good at it like that's not really where he should be like he's a father and he's a husband and Han's arc in The Force Awakens is very much about him being reminded, yo, yo, dude, you're a dad and you have this wife who loves you. Like, go and pay attention to them and do what you can to heal that situation. And that's really what, like, makes Han, like, a hero in the movie because obviously he does make the choice to go back to it and he obviously pays dearly by being a responsible parent and trying to save his son. Um, but that's not the point. The point is that he does like try to move forward and try to heal things. Yeah, and I think there's this idea that he he's facing the music, and JJ says it over times. I don't know if there are parts that we're going to discuss later, but he kind of says that the writing's on the wall for Han. That this whole mm. movie is kind of setting up this big moment at the end with him facing his son. Yeah. Um. So you really get this idea that Han Solo is not going to have died in vain. Because yes. this is an iconic movie character. They would not have done this lightly, especially not in the way that it did go down. Mm. So you really get the sense that it's going to have strong implications. Yeah, exactly. It's very... It'd be heavily nihilistic. They have Han literally make this brave choice and like go and try and rescue his son, as he does, and like literally pay off his life for that. like Only for his son to remain evil and continue doing terrible, awful things and never feeling a moment of remorse in his life. Like, if that's the route they go down, then that's a terrible disservice to Han's character, in my opinion. That's, like, the worst, like, route they could take for him. Because Han, as a character, he would want his son back. He would want his son to be redeemed and to see the light and to go back again. Obviously, he would also prefer to be alive. But I think if you were to speak to that character beyond the grave, he would probably say, I would at least want that to mean something. And I would want my son to realize through the act how terrible a choice he's made and to actually come back from that and to like do good of his powers instead of evil so yeah i'd like to think that's the route they're going in but yeah. we, we can obviously have a nice meaty d- redemption discussion yeah and like i know that. we're gonna ha- we're gonna get to the part later where he does actually die um, yes but you do get the sense in the moment that he is just uh, just feeling completely selfless he just wants his son to come home and you know be okay again and that he touches his face and it's just really really powerful (laughs) sorry sad (laughs) i know yeah i I just remember being in the cinema with my dad and watching that sorry for the tangent um but i'd already seen the movie like three times by this point so i did not really need to watch the screen because i knew exactly what was going to happen and I just remember looking at my dad and he was like wincing and recoiling in his seat because he just found it so unbearable like to watch this scene play out. Um, like, and again, I think that's just a sign of how successful it was. Because I don't think necessarily people enjoyed it, but it was very visceral and emotional and impactful for people. Yeah. And that's exactly what it should have been. Yeah, I think it's all about uh, someone having so much love for their child that they'll just do anything to help them. Yes, exactly. Um... Right, are we ready to move on? Yeah. Cool. Um, This quote is about Ray's interrogation. And JJ says, This now becomes the first time that you see who's behind the mask. This is obviously when Kylo takes the mask off. And because of Vader, I think you expect him to need the mask. That, like Vader, it's some kind of breathing apparatus, some kind of necessity. 
But when his mask comes off, you see Adam Driver, and he just looks like a sort of prince. And it makes no sense. Why would he wear a mask? But the question of why he wears the mask was answered in his insecurity. That he was involved with the Knights of Ren, which we have a whole backstory for. But the idea that he was using that mask for intimidation, that he, like many terrorists, is a coward and he's someone who's hiding, who's trying to scare you, and he knows that what you don't see is more frightening. And I think he's also got a little bit of Fader's wish. He's trying to emulate his grandfather. So, very interesting stuff on multiple levels. Yeah, I think um, the fact that JJ draws so much attention to why Kylo wears the mask, um, Mm. it really emphasises the fact that he takes it off for Rey and why would he do that? If, If he's interrogating her and wants to intimidate... taking the mask off seems counterintuitive yeah no exactly and i think it's just jj again pointing you towards why is this character acting so strangely with this girl like because that is the common thread throughout many of these comments that jj is making he's highlighting what kylo normally does and what it would be logical to do in certain situations so like it'd be logical to actually go and find the droid that literally has mapped right inside it in the forest but instead he kidnaps the girl and in the interrogation it would be logical to keep the mask on to intimidate her to frighten her but he takes it off and yeah this is so interesting it's like what's your game jj like what are you up to Mm. but as you say we have our theories (laughs) yeah and i i when he says he looks like a sort of prince i think that is drawing attention to that specific shot when he takes the helmet off and, yes. he, and Kylo doesn't really look like that at any other point in the movie. Yeah. It was obviously styled to perfection. <laughs> yes. No, he was primped within an inch of his life. <laughs> yeah. It's like very specific lighting and the hairstyle and everything. Um, yeah. So, and I, I like that they decided to have him unmask for Rey first because it, to me, that's another way of positioning her as the protagonist and we're seeing the story unfold through her eyes. Yeah. I don't think exactly. would have, it would probably wouldn't have had quite the same impact if the first scene we'd seen Kylo's face in was with him with Snoke. Yeah, I, I think like that's a good point. It's like for two reasons. It's like for the viewer's sake, like in that it creates more impact by having him unmask for the heroine who's the character whose point of view we're essentially following. And like it also makes like a lot of sense from a character point of view because then it raises these interesting questions about why does he unmask for this girl? Mm. As JJ is making very clear, that's a question we're meant to be asking. It makes no sense. So, yeah, it makes no sense with what we currently understand to be the situation, but presumably there is some kind of logical reason behind that in Kylo's mind that we don't fully understand. Yeah, and there's kind of this sense of self-sabotage with the interrogation and later on with the fight as well that he... In- Somehow, he probably isn't even thinking about it, but he makes himself vulnerable around Ray, and then that yeah. comes back to, to bite him in the ass, basically. <laughs> yes, no, exactly, royally on the ass. Um, yeah, no, like, if you look at Kylo's behaviour in relation to Ray, it's essentially like a catalogue of really bad and embarrassing decisions. It's like, dude, you really need to concentrate. <laughs> yeah, I mean, in the, the scene right after this as well, he goes to Snoke and tells him that she's strong in the force and Snoke mm. is basically like oh you failed then you weren't able to get the map from her um I need to do it myself you need to bring the girl to me yeah so it's it's really interesting because right from the beginning of the movie we're being you know set up to think 
and and recognize that Kylo Ren is a force to be reckoned with. You know, mm. he's got a lot of power. That's not the issue here. But it's yeah. all it's all falling apart. He's kind of having this this crisis somehow. I think there was another yeah. bit actually when he's talking to Vader's helmet. There was another quote from JJ where he said it wasn't about that scene wasn't about mm. military strategy or I can't remember the exact words he was using. Yeah. Um, he said it wasn't about tactics or war. It was about mm. crisis. Yes, that's right. Um, yeah. And it's that sense of existential crisis that Kylo is in this real bind, um, trying to figure out where he stands with the light and the dark, what he mm. needs to do, whether he can really bring himself to kill his father to to prove himself to Snoke. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, that's a really good point. I, I think over the course of The Force Awakens, you're essentially watching this character like psychologically disintegrate. So if you think about how he comes across when he's first introduced, he's he's also like a panther. Like he's all black. He's very like intimidating. He's very cool and collected. His movements are very slow and prowling and precise. And then like at the end in the forest, he's like literally bounding along. His hair's all rattled and like he's got this like cr- like crazy like intensity in his eyes like and he's just like so human and so debased by the end of it like he's just been completely demystified and yeah it's a really really interesting arc for that character because you just do see him fall apart and it's so often in relation to ray is like she is the key to sending him into this like spiral of like increasing desperation and chaos essentially like she's in a big way the trigger for that yeah it's like the whole idea of the pride before the fall like at the Mm. beginning he really is this vader like or you're you're set up to believe that he's like vader and then um i can't remember the exact quote again but but jj was talking about it um in the part where mataka comes to tell him that they didn't get the droid and he starts mm. throwing that tantrum with the saber slashing into the console. Yeah. And um, he says that he's he might look like Vader in the mask, but he's nothing like him. He has mm. he has a lot of rage and passion. Yeah. Um, and anger, whereas Vader is almost clinical. Mm. When he, yeah. when he punishes a subordinate, that's it. It's just very efficient and there's no emotion involved at all. Yeah. So I think we're really supposed to recognize that this character, while he is very self-aware, um of the fact that he has this legacy to uphold and he's consciously trying to emulate Vader, he's nothing like him. Yeah. No, exactly. And I, I think that's one of the movie's most like brilliant decisions. So I think like JJ goes into it again at an earlier point in the commentary. Um, like basically saying that they knew that there was always gonna be the shadow of Vader, so they decided to embrace that by making Kylo completely aware of Vader, as he would be, given who he is in the time that he was born. Um and yeah, like it's really good that they made that choice because they have this character who's desperately trying to be Vader but fails miserably because he's nothing like him. Like, Kylo is very clearly much more analogous to Anakin Skywalker than Darth Vader, which is like the greatest irony because obviously he wants to deny that Anakin Skywalker ever came back. That Anakin Skywalker is the one he bears the greatest resemblance to. So Yeah, he very yeah. much reminds me of Anakin at the end of Revenge of the Sith. That's kind of the parallel for me with The Force Awakens. Yeah, that's very interesting. Have we said all that we want to say there? Um, I think so. Was there anything else about the interrogation? I mean, I think we've summed up what he says in this quote, but were there any other yeah. comments you remember him making? Or do you want to just move on? Um, 
I personally don't recall anything that was incredibly enlightening. He had like an interest in like discussion about the sound design. Yeah, I do think the sound in that scene is fantastic. The sound really was fantastic. It really gives it this primal feel that they're battling it out together and that their sounds are um, kind of warring against each other and they they have different sounds to their force powers. Yeah. And that, that Raze gradually overtakes his. Yeah, no, he like compared it to Scanners, which is a film I haven't seen, but I expect he has badass sound design if he's <laughs> citing it as an inspiration. Because, yeah, it really is good. Um, and the sound guys deserve a lot of credit. There's actually um, like some documentaries on the sound design on the new Blu ray. Oh, okay. Um, so I, I'll have to check them out because I haven't had a chance to yet. Task for the weekend. Right. Then the next quote is about Han's murder. And here we have JJ. The truth is, I think Kylo Ren, in this moment, is actually being convinced to walk away from this. Snoke is, as Han says, using him. And I think that somewhere, Ben knows this. But I think he, that he can't accept it deep down. He has gone too far. But I don't think that in this moment, this is a put-on. I think that Ben is legitimately going to give up. But then the idea was that in this moment, where he's taking the lightsaber and offering it to him as a gesture, the sun finally is drained from the sky. And you see the light go away. And now they're in darkness. And darkness takes over. And as if this moment isn't disturbing enough, he pushes the saber further in and says these terrifying two words, thank you. In Kylo's mind, what he has just done seals the deal. It's the ultimate proof to Snoke that he is to be trusted, that he will not be seduced by the light. And I think the instant that he's done it, he regrets it. So, Kirsty. Um, we talked about this before and we both said that that was our initial perception of the scene, mm-hmm. but it's, it is still great to get JJ's, um, feelings on it. And yes. when he says things like, um, Kylo's doing it to prove that he can be on the dark side and that he won't be seduced by the light and then he regrets it. Yeah. All signs are pointing to future redemption in my opinion. Yeah, no, same. That, that's the impression I get to. That thank you it is disturbing, I think. Like mainly because of how desperate it is. It's like, thank you. Like He has to believe in that moment that he's made the right choice in doing this because he's killed his dad. That is like pretty much like a pinnacle of evil. Like There's not that many more like, heinous deeds you can do than that in the eyes of many people. So he has to like convince himself that, yes, this is necessary. And yes, I need to give my father my gratitude because now I'm there with Snoke. I've done it. I have sealed the deal. Like, everything's going to be okay now. Like, I can feel secure and confident in what I am. But then, like you say, that final line from JJ is the kicker, because then that completely undermines it. Because if it was, like, the ultimate, like, satisfaction that he sought to get from the act, and the ultimate proof to Snoke that he was now solidly on the dark side, then he wouldn't regret it straight after. No, and he wouldn't have that look of realisation on his face after Han's fallen. His eyes yeah. widen and his mouth opens and, and he can feel Leia as well. She feels it across the galaxy. Yes. Um, oh, it's just so tragic. It is. It's so tragic. Um, and it's a really powerful scene. Yeah. And great acting from all of them. Yeah. Obviously, JJ goes on about that great length. I, I would very much love to... in. <laughs> Include all the quotes where JJ is like smooshing up to the actors, but I, I recommend that you just listen to it because it's not the same hearing me recite his words. And I also really like that he's talking about the the symbolism with the sun draining from the sky, 
and mm. that's supposed to symbolize the darkness taking over for a moment but then later on um star killer base explodes and you get that sun returning yes so there is this and jj points that out as well that light is being restored to this corner of the galaxy yeah and he talks earlier on when um the resistance are first talking about star killer base mm. that um they are draining the sun. They are using it for its power. And I really think that that sun and sun metaphor is supposed to tie in with Kylo and yeah. and how he is being used for his power through Snoke because that's like Han says that to him. Snoke is using yeah. you for your power. When he gets what he wants, he'll crush you. Yeah. I think that this is, it's more than just Starkiller Base being just a Death Star. Um, I, I don't know how many viewers have picked up on this, but... JJ's comments kind of sealed that for me that that was an intentional metaphor. Yeah, no, like you say, I think it's a pretty clear metaphor. Like, I, I doubt that like average Joe on the street would pick up on that because average Joe on the street doesn't like think about the symbolism of <laughs> imagery in film. Um, but yeah, like it is pretty on the nose, and they really make a point of showing like the lights going away, like as JJ observes in these comments. So yeah, I think the literal sun that Starkiller Base is like vampirically sapping the power from that is very much like analogous to Kylo himself because like you've also got this whole thing right with Snoke he's almost like vampiric mm. um like he's this like very decrepit old decaying creature and then you have like Kylo and, and even Hux to an extent and they're like these young like vibrant men and there is almost the sense that it's like a bit of a, like a creepy vibe to him having these like young healthy men with him like it's like is he feeding off their power, like in their strength, like he's old and frail himself. But like he's got these like youthful people, this new generation, and then he's like exploiting them and using them to his own ends. Like just as Starkiller Base is using the literal sun for its own ends. Yeah. And then after the fight with Ray, obviously the the planet is exploding. And it's this yeah. idea that at his lowest point the sun is being reborn. So it does yeah. kind of give you that hope for what's gonna come next with, with Kylo's arc. Because he really can sink no lower, to be honest, can he? I mean, yeah, he can't. He can't do anything worse than killing his father without cheapening Hans death. I, I firmly believe that. I because this is a family friendly film. I, what can they do? What can they do with him that would like, like, <laughs> like go like go into like the Ewok nursery <laughs> and like have like a long lingering close up of like the cute baby Ewoks. <laughs> Like the younglings in Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, I don't see anything like that happening in Kylo's future with like with the younglings, Anakin. <laughs> no, sorry, I shouldn't be laughing at this. No, uh, like no, I don't see that either. Because I the way that he's been set up, it seems like all of his greatest crimes have to be behind him now. Mm. Um and obviously we don't know what exactly went down at Luke's Academy or Temple or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um but it is the sense of that story hasn't quite been told yet, so maybe they're playing with people's assumptions. No, absolutely. I think that's very possible indeed. Is there anything else you want to say about that scene on the bridge? Um, no, I, I don't think so. so. I think we covered it a bit earlier as well. Um, right, so shall I move on? Yeah. Cool. Right, the next quote is from Ray and Kylo's duel. And here, JJ says, The idea that Ray takes down Ren was something that we knew we wanted to do. But the question became, now what? Does she do the very non-Jedi thing and kill him off? Does she do the thing that would be unsatisfying, which is just let him go? So he thought, well, the planet's ripping apart. So Larry and I decided what of the two of them, in this kind of operatic moment, 
actually gets separated and the decision is taken away from them and therefore another time. So I find this quote really, really interesting, actually. I might not be reading too much into it, but I especially find the idea of like the decision itself being left for another time, like very intriguing because the decision is like Ray's, should I kill Kylo? And I reckon JJ saying this is a very clear indication that that is going to be a decision that will carry through to episode eight. Yes. And I think it's going to be a decision that she will be feeling quite differently about it the next time this opportunity comes around. Yes. Because there's this idea here that if the planet hadn't ripped apart, she might have killed him. Yeah. And I'm really glad that he's not shying away from that because we've said before that Ray really does seem like she's dancing dangerously close to the dark side in that moment. She's yeah. prowling around him. She's got this snarl on her, you know, snarling expression. Um, she's already slashed him in the face and his shoulder. And she, like, he's his saber's gone at that point. Um, mm. She could have killed him. Yeah. No, totally. I'm like, in that moment, it's like complete, like, reversal to what you'd expect. It's the mighty, fearsome villain. And he's literally bleeding and powerless on the ground, like, completely at her mercy. And it's entirely up to her what she does with him in that moment. So yeah, it really subverts your expectations in many ways. And I, I like that they drew attention to the fact that it was a conscious choice to have Ray win that fight because yeah. I've seen some criticism that Ray shouldn't have won it, that it was somehow a mistake on the writer's part. <laughs> but you know, I they... find that so dumb. Well, I, yeah. It, yeah, I, obviously we both find it dumb. It's, it's just like, they, it's not an accident right. that she wins in this movie. I think maybe some people underestimate how much time and effort goes into writing these stories. Mm. And that they will have really deliberated every single decision, especially something as huge as the movie's climax. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know, because this really does have implications for the story going forward, because this means that she's already, she's already won in a sense. You know, yeah. she didn't kill him. It's not like the story's finished, but um, story wise for it to be satisfactory, this, this can't happen repeatedly. Yeah. No, exactly. And I think by having this epic confrontation in the first movie and having Ray win it, perhaps even more importantly, that's an indication that it's not like this is going to be like the central combat, like in every subsequent Star Wars movie. Like they can't keep on having Ray and Kylo rematch because there's not much dramatic tension in that when we've already seen like Ray solidly beat his ass. Like so there was in more interest in seeing like Luke and Vader duel several times, because obviously when Luke and Vader first dueled, Luke was completely trashed, <laughs> essentially. Um, and then it's like, oh, what's going to happen next time? And obviously the point of what happens next time isn't whether Luke beats Vader or not, because the stories evolve far beyond that by that point. But there was still like a tension there because Vader absolutely had the upper hand, like even though Luke had had extra training in the interim. Um, but yeah, Ray's already beaten kind of straight out of the gate, so it's not going to be like there's film after film of her beating him again. So it's either going to be Kylo beats Ray, or they're fighting and they actually pause and look at themselves and think, "Why are we fighting?" <laughs> yeah, um, I think the symbolism of the planet ripping apart is quite interesting as well. Mm, I mean, he does talk about that, that it's operatic moment, which yeah. shows that it is supposed to symbolise something. Yeah. Um it is like they have this huge chasm between them and how how are they going to bridge that gap? Like because yeah. how on earth would they do it? You know, there's so much going on here between these two characters. 
but that's yeah. presumably that's what's being set up as the story yeah no absolutely i think it's it's like the whole sun thing what the great point you made about like kylo being analogous to the sun like that chasm between them when the planet is tearing apart is not just about the planet tearing apart it's about there being this massive gulf of like understanding and and morality and experience between these two characters Mm. um and one can only presume that going forward things are going to happen to resolve that gap and to actually bring them to some kind of mutual ground where they can like both see where the other person is coming from more one would think yeah i would think so yeah so it's awesome i i really love that moment is like i think that fight between ray and kylo at the end of the film probably my favorite scene in the whole of force awakens and i think it's one of the greatest scenes like in all the star wars films to be honest like i just love like the passion and the emotion like that's so important to me that's the kind of shit i watch star wars for like that's like really what makes it engaging more so than any other element yeah it's it's become quite iconic really hasn't it because Mm. there is there's so much going on it's not just about them fighting physically there's a real there's a war in either character in terms of what they sense is the right thing to do what their goals are and how much how much miscommunication there is as well like with him asking her you know you need a teacher and she's Mm. just like what like yeah. what? Why are you asking this right now? We're supposed to be fighting. What's going yeah, on? Yeah, she's just baffled. Yeah, yeah, um, and, it, and that's another example of Carlo's action is just not making sense. Yeah, no, exactly. It's a long list, isn't it? <laughs> um, and yeah, I think it's also like you're saying, so like personal, um, because like like the real turning point in that duel, it's just a massive, literally massive close-ups of their faces as they're staring at each other. You know, and like that is just so, so intense and it's so like internal and it's about what those characters are feeling and thinking, like in that very like intense, like an extreme moment when they're literally on the edge because the cliff's fallen apart behind her. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, there's just like great power in that because it's really bringing it back to the people and like that emotional dynamic, like more than like any battle prowess or anything like superficial along those lines yeah Um, oh there was another part um when they were they were looking at poe going through the trench run which is obviously a nod to the original star wars yeah then um jj said something like when they went back to the forest Mm. um oh now we're coming back to the story that we really care about between red (laughs) and ray yes no i found that really funny actually because i was a bit like JJ, this is your movie. <laughs> you should care about everything. I think he said something similar um, when the movie had just come out that he was mm. talking about the fight and that was the real story and then yeah. the other stuff was kind of accessory. Um, yeah, and obviously I supposed, totally agree with Yeah, it's supposed to be a nod back to, you know, the traditional action story of Star Wars, but there's something yeah. hugely important going on on the ground with these brand new characters that are yeah. very unlike Luke and Vader. Yeah. And, like, I really appreciated, like, hearing JJ and, like, talk about that. See, he almost sounds a bit, like, comatose when he's talking over, like, the Poe trench run bit. He's like, and, oh, yeah, this is kind of like the homage to A New Hopes. Like, cool. Like, love it. Awesome. And it's like, oh, Kylo and Ray. Yeah, this is what we like. Nice. Excited now. Um, like, because that shows that the most exciting and interesting bits of his own film to him, they are the new bits. They're the elements of The Force Awakens that are not like beholden to what has gone before 
like so while he is obviously very honest about acknowledging like where he acknowledges Star Wars past it's clear that he's most confused about these fresh elements and what can be done with them and the potential there which I really loved it was a really cool vibe yeah it kind of comes back to what he was saying earlier about those certain prerequisite elements with the Death Star mm. and you know all these things that make it Star Wars yeah but that's not enough. You you do have to have these new characters and new connections between them. And that's really what you get in Rey and Kylo Ren. That's yes. that's not a hero villain dynamic that we've seen before in Star Wars. Yeah. Or at least no, not exactly. in the in the films. Yeah. No, and that's why it's so exciting and why so many people are fixated on it. So yeah, it's super interesting. Have we said all we want to say about the fight? Yeah, I think so. Cool. Then we have a really little snippet, which is refreshing for my vocal cords. <laughs> um, and this is JJ speaking when Ray and Leia hug. But this moment, I think, is actually lovely. And the idea that these two women who'd never met but knew of each other, and they're both force strong, and they're both bound by their loss and their strength. That, that's a small quote, but I wanted to say it for like a few reasons. First of all, I really liked it because, like, I do think The Force Awakens could do much more in terms of female representation and showing female relationships on screen. But I did really like that moment. Like, it's a great sign of, like, two women like, just coming together and, like, having that moment of, like, really deep like empathy and connection. Yeah. And I think it's really just, like, beautiful on those terms. Like, especially because, like, Ray, like, it, like she has no memory of, like, her actual mother or anything. And, like it's probably a long, long time since she's ever like had like that kind of like warm embrace from like an older, gentle, like warm mother figure, you know? Um, And I think that's really lovely that they have Leia fill that role in that moment, especially because Leia, obviously it's not said overtly, but she probably believes she's lost her son forever at that point, you know? So she's like seeking comfort as well in this young girl because she's like, I've lost everything, but you're here so there is still some like little ray of hope and you're that so i really like that i found that beautiful and yeah i I kind of also felt like it's another clear nail in the ray solo coffin because like jj is quite emphatic here saying they have never met yeah i almost felt like he wanted to clarify that just so that there was no getting around it because he must know right that there has been all sorts of speculation about this moment yeah Um, when people first saw it they maybe did think that there was some kind of prior connection to them. Mm. Um, because, you know, why else would Leia hug this girl she didn't know? But be- mm. he draws attention to the fact that they are both four strong. And because yeah. Leia sensed that moment on the bridge, you get this sense that um, she is aware that Ray has had now these strong connections with her husband and her son. Yeah, exactly. It's not about blood. Is about like empathizing with this girl and knowing what she's been through and what she's experienced, because purely just because of the f- events of Force Awakens, Rey's story is tied up with the Skywalker's story, like so Leia's story and Han's story and Kylo's story. She has become a key part of like all those characters' paths. Like, and it's kind of frustrating. Like for many people, that is like that's not enough. You know, it's like she has to be blood related. That has. To- that has to be the case for it to be actually meaningful and rewarding. And like, I understand the impulse, but I think JJ expresses it really nicely here as to why, no, that's not necessary. This is what's going on. This is what the intent was behind that scene. Yeah. You just, you have this sense that they are both struggling with the weight of everything that's happened and they they just need to find that solace 
in another yeah. person at that moment. Yeah. No, exactly. Which I think is a really nice scene. Right. And then, believe it or not, we're actually around to the last quote. <laughs> oh, imagine if we'd like literally talked through all the quotes. Oh my God. Because this, this is a tiny selection. It's so tiny. Like, yeah. I'll include a link to the source post we're using for this. And you'll realize that we're barely scratching the surface. But yeah, I do think covering a lot of ground yeah and if people have a chance to listen to the whole thing themselves they really should i was really pleasantly surprised by how candidly he was talking yeah no 100 percent. like and it's really nice like so obviously i'm sure there's loads of things he can't say right now that he could say in four years like and there probably will be another country in four years let's face it because they're gonna milk this baby for all they can get but at the same time i think it's very important to state that everything jj says here is voluntary no one here is putting him on the spot and like asking him who raised parents, for example, as has been the case in the past. Everything JJ says here is very carefully considered and he says it because he wants to say it. So you either have to believe he's outright lying when he says things like Ray and Leia have never met or you have to believe that he is telling the truth and trying to clarify things and help steer people a bit more along the right direction. When it comes to their theorizing and how they perceive these things um and i think i believe the latter like because i do like to think that jj has learned <laughs> that is not wise to mislead people especially in the context of a audio commentary where there's absolutely no requirement to mislead that's the thing he, there's there's no reason to lie he could just not say things um, yeah so this is very different from saying, you know, Cumberbatch isn't calm. That's that's an example. I know people love to throw out there to be like, oh, J.J. Abrams lies about everything. Yeah. That saying that is, I think it's different from, you know, saying, as you say, like this commentary is an official part of how people will consume The Force Awakens. It's not in just some interview somewhere. Mm. Um, but I guess we'll see. I mean, I agree that the commentary four years from now will be very different because they would be able to go back and really talk about how things had lined up for the following story. Yeah. Um, but I just prefer to think that he's actually being real when he says these things. And I don't think he could get through a whole commentary for a whole movie by lying. <laughs> like not over and yes. over. You know, it's you'd just... think he'd be like consumed by guilt. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've seen people pick apart these quotes and say, well, maybe it's meant like this and maybe, but that's just not how people talk. Like, yeah. you know, whatever the meaning is, it should be apparent. It should be the most understandable meaning because he's not writing this down in a master plan way to kind of trick people. Yeah. Like, it's just him talking about what he sees in front of him. Yeah. No, exactly. Um, right. And I think then we can get on to the final quote from JJ. So we have him talking about Ray encountering Luke. And he says, Daisy who, like Ray, had come from this sweet and humble place and was now quite literally carrying the torch for the saga, and her face here, this moment where she's reaching out to him and finds strength and a determination, and Luke, who looks at her, just knowing what it means to accept this plea to come back and help, and we leave them here until episode 8. I don't think this is a particularly telling quote. I don't think there's much to read from it, but... It just reminds me of how excited I am for episode eight. I do like that it firmly positions Ray as the new hero. Like mm. that she has kind of taken on that role from Luke. Obviously, they're not the same character. But yes. that the, the torch has been passed and that's kind of literally seen it through her carrying the saber and trying to take it to Luke to bring him back and help out. 
Yeah. No, exactly. Um, she is decidedly the new hope, I think, of the sequel trilogy, and that really comes through here. And yeah, I, I find it really like it's touching that he draws attention to like Luke having that perspective on things, because Luke's already been through what Ray is probably going to go through. Like obviously in a very different way because the stories can be different. But like he was in that moment when he was like the young hero who had this responsibility to save the galaxy, and so it's weird because like now he's like the old dude. And I bet in a way he must feel like, oh, this is really depressing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm so old, man. Yeah, because you see it on it, you know, on his face that he lost so much. Yeah. That um, you know, it's not like the thirty years since Return of the Jedi have been a waste and he didn't achieve anything. He did achieve lots of things and mm-hmm. we don't know what they are yet, but we'll learn. But yeah. then in the last six years it's kind of all fallen away. Yeah. So there is the sense of they really need help. Yeah. No, exactly. It's a desperate situation. And yeah, I, I just love Mark's acting. It's so good. Like, it's just like this incredible, like, torment, I suppose, on his face. Yeah, it, it's just like, oh man, I want to know what else happened to you to cause you to look like that. Yeah. Like, he just looks totally distraught. And it makes me really excited to see Mark Hamill's performance in episode eight. Because there obviously have like been lots of crazy Luke rumors <laughs> that might well come to fruition, and I'd, I'd be up with crazy Luke. I'm sure Mark Hamill would do awesome with crazy Luke. Um, but I do also think just having seen what he could do with his face in that scene, it's like wow. I I think there's going to be great things ahead. Yeah, I'm really excited for it. Yeah, it's going to be so good. <laughs> <sighs> oh my gosh! Right, is there anything else left that we want to say about the commentary? Um, I can't remember anything off the top of my head, but just everyone should go and listen to it. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. Um, and it's a surprisingly enlightening listen. So, yeah, as Kirsty says, check it out. It's pretty badass. Um, right. So with that done, would you be happy to move on to what will be our final segment today, which is it came from Reddit. This time, basically, it was a choice between doing it came from Reddit and doing questions. So I'm really sorry question people, but I really wanted to dive back into Reddit because it's been sadly, sadly neglected and I felt like my precious baby Reddit segment needed some love. So we are going there. Um, And this time we have a rather interesting piece of speculation on the Star Wars speculation subreddit. It's by a user called Sado Vizier and it's titled... Ray will become a Skywalker. And it reads like this. As the title states, Ray will be a Skywalker, but not by blood. She will also not be one just by adoption either. Ray will marry into the Skywalker family. And no, I'm not talking about Raylo. Ray is a character to show that everyone can be a hero. She's the ultimate female empowerment. She doesn't need to gain her skills from her family. She's pure of heart and the Force has chosen her to be strong with the Force. Luke may not be her father, but Skywalkers are intertwined with the fate of her parents and why she is on Jakku. Luke is not alone on the island. Why is he simply waiting on such a secluded island, seemingly not caring about what happens in the universe? He is not waiting. He is training someone. His son. Luke's son is not ready yet, however, and after the massacre at Luke's temple, he needed a hidden place to give his son the time he needed. His son is younger than Kylo. And imagine the jealousy Ben felt when Luke started giving more attention to his son. Ben already felt ignored by his own father Han, and now he has to witness another child being given the attention he always wanted from a father. 
Kylo needed to be stronger. He needed to be better than Luke's son. Snoke had the answer he was looking for, something that Luke would not give them. The dark side. Unlimited power! (laughs) Kylo will have feelings for Rey, and Rey will not reciprocate. She will have feelings for Luke's son, however. While Kylo may have been pulled by the light, this will be too much for him. His jealousy will ultimately consume him, pushing him towards the dark side where he always wanted to be. A dangerous love triangle and family conflict within the new generation of Skywalkers, Leia's son versus Luke's son, and Rey the anchor between, the one to bring them together before they rip themselves apart. Kirsty, your thoughts? Okay, where to begin? Um, So, coming back to the Raylo idea. Okay. um, Raylo gets criticised a lot for sounding too much like Twilight. (laughs) This sounds like Twilight to me in the worst way possible. And... I feel like it really tries to take away the main character role from Ray, which yeah. I have such a problem with for yeah, obvious reasons. Same. same. Like, um, like I try not to diss on anyone's theories too much. So I appreciate this person actually put thought into it. They put thought into like character motivations and what they noticed in The Force Awakens and all that kind of stuff. So that's really good. But I, I find it really ironic. There's obviously this sentence about Ray being like the ultimate female empowerment model and stuff. And then like the rest of the write-up phrase not mentioned apart from like his being this like love object who's like t- in a tug of war between Kylo and this like made-up son of Luke's. Yeah. I mean, I... I've seen people theorise on, I, it seems less likely these days, but at first people thought maybe there was going to be a love triangle between Finn, Ray, and Kylo. Mm. So now it seems that maybe that's not happening and Finn's going to be on his own separate journey. Um, yeah. That people would try and introduce another male character in his place. But, yeah. you know, again, that, that almost takes away from Finn's impact as well because you you can't just bring in another male lead <laughs> a force sensitive lead and just usurp Ray's role like that. Like that's can you just... imagine how the introduction would work? Like after, like I, c- I can only presume that after, like Luke and Ray have had this like very long, intense stare out, then like Luke says, "Ray, I have someone I want to show you to." And then like he he like walks over from the huts, and then like there's like a long, whole lingering shot on the hut entrance, and then like this really hot blonde man comes oh, out. And it's like. Ray, I would like you to meet my son. Newt. <laughs> yes, Newt. <laughs> yeah. uh, It'd be so beautiful. It would just be like the ultimate like confluence of Star Wars fan theories. It sounds like really terrible fan fiction. Like <laughs> that this this son is such a Gary Stew or whatever you call it. That he oh he's going to be the savior. Everything's okay. Ray's going to marry him, and he'll kick the bad guy's ass, and everything will be okay again. Yeah, and Kylo's just going to be there, like, moping, like, lovelorn, and, like, no one loves me. <laughs> See, that is the one part of this that I appreciate. At least they are honest in that they recognise that it's fully possible that Kylo is going to develop this attraction toward Rey. Yeah. Because, in my opinion, you can already see tones of that coming through in their interactions. Yeah, sure. Awakens. And I, I will, you know, make it very clear that I think it's one-sided. Yeah. Um, but there is this growing acknowledgement of that, at least. Yeah, corners of the fandom. So yeah, no, definitely. I, I think people just find it difficult to reconcile that with um, how evilly Kylo um, could conducts himself. Um, right, and I have a feeling we've gone over two hours at this point. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a really good conversation, um, and I've really enjoyed discussing that commentary. It's so exciting. <laughs> yeah, I was 
really pleasantly surprised by it. So that's great. Yeah. No, it's really good. Um, right. So I think that's us done for today. I am Rachel and you can find me on Tumblr at Star Wars Nonsense and at WordPress on Journal of the Star Wars. And Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and um, also Scavengers Horde on Twitter. So if yeah. people want to follow us and come and say hello. Yeah, definitely check us out on Twitter. It's the good place to be where all the cool kids are. <laughs> <laughs> Don't know what we're doing there, but... <laughs> yes, we're the odd ones out, are we? <laughs> um, but yeah, a great episode and fun times and tune in next week, everyone. Goodbye. Bye.